from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. There's even a new proposition, Prop NS, where you can uh, receive funds to renovate um, houses that are uh, vacant to be able to sell them. So. Working with the Vacancy Collaborative, we're working on additional resources for people who want to create their own little pocket parks or renovate buildings. When a city invests in its public space, the people know that they're the ones being invested in and people will invest back into the city. I'm Sarah Fenske. A new nonprofit is doing big things in small spaces. Pocket Park takes vacant lots in St. Louis and transforms them into community spaces. The organization is in its first year and already has four Pocket Parks underway. And joining us now to tell us more is Pocket Park's founder, Samantha Lee Smugala. Samantha, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So I understand the idea for these pocket parts started a couple of years ago, and it started with sketches on your phone. What were you drawing? You know, I would be running around. I'm a runner. And just kind of exploring the city. I like to run through urban environments. And I found myself pausing, snapping a photo on my phone. And then I would go back and start sketching concepts on top of it, whether that was um, a new farmer's market or an empty building with a new facade or a vacant lot into a little park. And these sketches started building up, and finally I decided, you know, clearly this is a passion. <laughs> so there's this is the time to do something with it. And I floated some out there in social media. It started gaining traction, and through some feedback and uh, some business planning, we kind of turned that idea from a sketch into a reality. And so when you say this was the time to do something with this idea, was this your pandemic project? You know, it really was. <laughs> we all had a lot of time on our hands. We did. And that was another time when I was running and I just saw the city in such a different light. Mm -hmm. No one was walking around and it was gray and desolate and it really changed the persona of the city. So street activation is so important. And I've, I've been telling a lot of people this, I really believe that cities get their personality from public space. Mm -hmm. And people walking around a city, activating it, make it, making it safer, it really changes the entire vibe. And uh, like Emma Cluse said earlier, putting in artwork and you know, installing different pieces in public space really is a is a beautification project, but also it reflects the personality of the city and its residents. So trying to weave in some vibrancy and some activation into our city streets because of how gray the city was during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it was just such a depressing time. And as you say, so empty. And now things are coming back to life. But we still have a lot of vacant lots and sort of empty spaces here in the city. I'm curious, though, hearing you use the phrase street activation and, and talking about some of these things, you kind of sound like a planner. Are, do you have any training in any of this? 
You know, I am a learner, lifelong learner, and I'm kind of just uh, learning as I go. My background is actually in interior design, mm. and I teach adjunct at Maryville University. I still practice interior design, but designers are problem solvers. And what I wanted to focus on was how to use my skill set to make mass impact and understanding how important space is, how it impacts someone's health and and how someone perceives space, how safe they feel, knowing that those same practices from interior design and employing them in public space just felt like a good fit. So finally kind of figured out how to merge my skill set with uh, public impact work. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a, a perfect thing. Instead of uh, designing these interior spaces, you're designing exterior spaces that, that can bring people together. Now, it's one thing to design it and put it on social media and have people say, wow, this looks great. It's not as simple as interior designing where you just have to get the homeowner's permission. How did you go about turning this from just a sketch into you're actually making this happen? Yeah, so it really depends on the community and what the community needs are. We do a ton of community engagement, and currently communities are coming to us seeking this type of work and activation. So it starts with the community and it ends with the community. We do a lot of um, events and pop-ups showing people the, the opportunities of vacant space. And after we do some site selection and mapping, we go to the property owners. Sometimes that's a private owner. Sometimes it's owned by the city uh, from the LRA. So we really try to work with them and uh, come up with an agreement that makes sense for both parties so that we can continue to provide value. So what was your first? Our first park is downtown at 10th and Locust. And this is a space that we currently have a lease on with a private owner. And we are working on, um, we actually just received a $10,000 grant from the Downtown Community Improvement District, which is amazing. That's awesome. Um, we've installed a a 111-foot mural that's a color spectrum mural that completely transformed the block, just, again, inserting vibrancy into public space. And the next phases will be incorporating seating and picnic tables. We've also kept the lot clean, um, installed things like doggy waste stations and, and all of that. So that's our first park. And what's great is that we work on a really lean and mean model. The parks can continue to evolve and be updated the more resources that our organization receives. So we start with what we have to create immediate impact, mm -hmm. and then we go from there. So what led you to do that one first? Was this something where there was a property owner who wanted to work with you? It was. Um, you know, I think that having high visibility is important and being able to access as many people as possible in dense urban areas is also important. And downtown needed some help. Yeah. So we do look at neighborhoods and, and do some surveying and mapping. Where are amenities? Where is the transit happening? Uh, where are local schools? Where are the other parks? And we kind of do a lot of research and data analysis. And then we reach out to owners if we think there's a good fit and if it's a need of the community. So this was one that we kind of piloted with the owner and it's become a, a great success. So we heard from, um, boy, there's just always a naysayer um, in, in any topic we talk about, but we heard from somebody who was like, yeah, you know, this is not my favorite spot because this is something where the dogs have really started to pee on this. How do you balance? I mean, you're dealing with such small spaces. Mm -hmm. 
So how do you balance the needs of various constituencies when they might conflict? It's not like Forest Park where you can be like, oh, we're going to put this over here. You know, we have thousands of acres. We'll put that over here. It's just one little space. Right. It's it's a balance, you know, and that's something that I think we'll continue to navigate and find solutions for. So what we're working on now is what can we put in the space that helps change behaviors and influences people to take care of space. And if you're taking care of it, a lot of times it will influence good behaviors for others to take care of it. Mm-hmm. There's, um, you know, it's been said that when a city invests in its public space, the people know that they're the ones being invested in and people will invest back into the city. So that's what we're trying to employ. And it's a process, you know, mm-hmm. you can't change behaviors overnight, but the more that we continue to create value, uh, continue to keep the parks maintained and provide more for people as an asset, I think we can we can do that. So that's your first one. You have three others that are already underway. Um, are those also downtown? Another one is in Laclede's Landing. It's under the MLK Bridge. It has a beautiful uh, vessel sculpture on it. Cool. And then we have one in the West End neighborhood, which is near Hodemont. And that one has some beautiful sculptures from the apprentices at STL Artworks. And we've also included a paved pathway that's a playful learning landscape, has various shapes and color painted along the path for children to explore. And then our fourth park is a collaboration with the Cortex. This year it was an urban sunflower field and we're about to make the announcement that we're coming back in 2022 with another partnership to do a natural prairie and some other fun, exciting things that are yet to be announced. So that's very cool. Hearing about these things, though, this is not as simple as just saying, hey, you know, the community can come gather here. Like, you're actually putting physical improvements into this. I imagine that's not cheap. Where does the funding come from for things like paths and sculptures and stuff like that? It's a blend. Like any nonprofit, we receive grants, we have independent donors, corporate donors, and I think one of our most successful things has been in-kind donations. Hmm. People volunteering time, people giving plants, people um, you know, helping out with certain built features. It's been really incredible to see the community and uh, businesses and individuals really support this mission. Yeah, I mean, people have really been on board for this. Does that surprise you? I feel like sometimes St. Louis can be kind of change resistant, and yet this is a change people can get behind. I think so. And I think part of the reason is due to the pandemic, people value outdoor space like never before. And I think it was, you know, somewhat of a timing thing. People were ready to get back outside, ready for activating space. And I think it it really became apparent, especially here in St. Louis with a lot of other neighborhoods, vacancy is a big problem. Mm -hmm. It blights neighborhoods. It depreciates property values. It's associated with crime. So now's the time to make the change to improve our neighborhoods and build up communities. So you're actually holding events on these spaces. I understand you've held a total of 15 across these four parks. What what kind of things have you done on site? Sure. So there's been everything from pop-ups that are 
temporary activations where we have vendors and invite people to, to come and give feedback. And we'll even have food trucks, things like that. And some of those events are fun volunteer opportunities for planting or painting. Mm. We had a wine and paint the park day. That was a really fun one that for adults. That sounds super fun. <laughs> yeah, so we really try to mix it up. We've had happy hours. We've had uh, family-friendly events. Um, and it's really been a really fun experience because activation is key, again, to creating safe spaces. And we really want to build multi-purpose spaces that the community can use and host events or farmers markets or gatherings. So it's, it's really important to us that activation is part of that plan. So what happens now that the temperatures are getting cold and we're all kind of retreating? Are these parks going to go dormant for a couple months? You know, hibernation is probably going to be a thing, but we are... <laughs> Actually, due because it's getting darker earlier, due to that, to still kind of keep the park active and increase safety, we're going to be installing some solar lights throughout the parks. And they're going to be fun colors, holiday themed. And so when people are walking by after work or walking home from the bus stop, it's something that they can pause and enjoy and experience as they're walking through. That's cool. So when you say solar lights, this is something where it'll be charging up during the day? Exactly. Wow. How cool. <laughs> well, this is just, this is one of these things that it, it feels small, but it feels like it can make a big difference for a block. I understand you're looking to purchase, uh, at you, meaning Pocket Parks, are looking to purchase your first property in the coming months. These others have been leases. Um, what's going on with that? So that is actually the West End Park. It's okay. an LRA lot, a city-owned lot. And so uh, we've got an application out to purchase that property as our, our first piece of property in our land bank and hoping to extend that. So the LRA, that's the city's land reutilization authority, um, and they sort of hold um, all the vacant properties in, in town that aren't being taken care of by somebody. They kind of hold them there. I've heard it's not always easy to purchase through them. Do you feel like you're kind of on the path? And, and this is going to work out? Yeah, you know, I think there's, you know, some time involved because the city looks at these once a month. Uh, the application is something that you do have to put effort into, but it's a process that they will definitely help you with. And the city actually does have a lot of resources. I think that sometimes it, it, you have to look through the website to find those, but they're very helpful if, if you give them a call and want to look into purchasing your own vacant lot. Uh, there's even an, a new proposition, Prop NS, where you mm -hmm. can uh, receive funds to renovate um, houses that are uh, vacant to be able to sell them. So the city does have a lot of resources and actually working with the Vacancy Collaborative, we're working on additional resources for people who want to create their own little pocket parks or renovate buildings. So Pocket Parks is off to a great start. I mean, what a great first year, how much you've accomplished. In our final minute here, um, what do you see as the goal? Where would you like to be in five years with Pocket Parks? You know, I get asked this question a lot, and it's hard to answer because, yeah, I think people expect a number of parks or, um, you know, how many people we're impacting. But to me, as long as we're sustaining and providing value, we're doing our job because we're not just coming in and developing. We're also maintaining and activating. And so if it's five parks, if it's 25 parks and multiple cities, which would be amazing, that's great. Um, but as long as we're providing value, I, I think we're accomplishing what we set out to do. Well, Samantha Lee Smugala, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sarah.
This episode was produced by Laura Hamden with audio engineering by Aaron Dorr and production assistance from Jane Matherglass. It was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.